The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. I am so pleased that you've chosen to take your time and and join me today. I have a great guest, actually a dear friend. I was going to say old friend, but I don't use that word anymore. Um, my, My guest today is John Jacobson, and many, many of you know him, uh, and we could talk about so many things. Uh, John has had a fabulous career. Many of you know him as the president of White Oak Associates, and he's also CEO of White Oak Institute. Uh, he began his museum career as associate director of the Museum of Science in Boston, and many of us know him for the fabulous work he has done over the years with the Museum Film Network, the Planetarium Show Network, and uh, also was uh, one of the founding managers of PIC, the Professional Committee on Green Museums. We could go on and on about John's background, but suffice it to say that there is no one, I believe, is more qualified and experienced to talk with us today about measuring museum impact and performance. And in fact, John has written a fabulous book uh, called just that, Measuring Museum Impact and Performance, Measuring Success. It has a great foreword by Ford Bell. Uh, It is published by Roman and Littlefield, uh, which is now handling all of AAM's publications as well. And I'm sure after our discussion today, if you have not read the book, you will definitely want to. So, John, with that, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you, Carol, for that introduction, and um, uh, glad to chat with you today about uh, measuring impact and performance, um, as well with um, your many listeners around the world. So, uh, happy to have that. Uh, discussion. And I hope that um, your listeners share with uh, you and uh, with me the kind of love of the field that, that um, uh, we've talked about. I've been in museums for over four decades and have worked with, um, you know, well over a hundred museums of all sorts of types. And I've developed a love for the field that um, really motivated this book, that um, uh, because I think Museums are undervalued. I think we're at a point where we need to prove our value, and we need the mechanisms uh, to do that. 
I couldn't agree more, John. And and the concepts of uh, measuring our success, proving our success, uh, talking about our success is a topic that uh, many guests uh, discuss on the show. Uh, it is I I do believe you're you're absolutely correct. It is a seminal question, particularly now uh, as we're in another rocky patch in our history. Museums and cultural institutions can play such a significant role in that. But um, before we, we perhaps wax any more poetical, uh, why don't, would you please, and we will, don't worry, uh, would you please just uh, tell us a little a bit more about why why now, why you wrote this book, and uh, what you hope to accomplish. Well, Carol, we've been through this museum boom, at least in the United States, um, uh, and it, I've seen it globally as well. Um, here, it's um, waning, and we're starting to struggle as a field with uh, the loss of public funding, with um, uh, questioning from private sources as to what our outcomes are and how we can quantify them. And we're up against some serious competition from other nonprofits that are able to say things like, we can cure blindness with your dollars, or we can uh, address world hunger. So how do museums um, make a case for what we're doing um, in the face of other organizations who are capable of showing numbers of um, their outcomes and showing measurements of how they're performing? So I think we needed a system to do that, and we don't have that. Um, and we haven't had it for a series of reasons. Uh, but if we do have a system for measuring our impact and performance, then the profession as a whole will advance. Then we will have standards that we can share. We'll have abilities to compare our data meaningfully to other museums that share the same kind of definitions. Uh, and from that kind of leap forward, the field as a whole can evolve and we can become better museums. Because not, it, it, it's not just that we need to prove what our value is. We need to improve our value. We need as a field to use data uh, to find out what the best fits are with our community and what our resources can be used for most efficiently. So that motivated the book, was to um, look at the field that I love, uh, that I'm worried about right now for its economic sustainability in the face of declining public funding, and to come up with a mechanism that will professionalize the field and allow us to both uh, evidence and um, uh, use uh, data to improve our, our impact and performance. That's great, John. Thank you very much. Those are, those are very, very clear uh, goals. You know, one of the things I loved uh, about the book, one of many, but you begin the book by talking, uh, you know, sort of building on on the shoulders of giants, if you will. Uh, you you do a very nice job, sort of going back into the literature and and reminding all of us of some of the other uh, approaches that and other people who have. Uh, attempted to look at evaluation and and uh, standards and uh, value frameworks. Could you share with us a little bit, uh, you know, about that that history, perhaps, and and then how that influenced your thinking? Why yours? Uh, is, is how how you came to think about your specific framework? Well, many. <clears throat> 
there are many colleagues um, who have written wonderfully about our field, and uh, the literature is rich with um, opinions and researched articles um, uh, about learning in museums, about economic impact in museums, about how to value the public um, uh, worth of museums. Uh, Carol Scott has written extensively about it. Uh, John Falk and Lynn Deerking have worked on it. Um, the National Science Foundation has developed frameworks for evaluating programs. Um, then there are a whole series of um, great thinkers in the wider world of nonprofits. Um, so we've got uh, the Strategic Triangle. We've got uh, various other um, uh, hedgehog concepts and things from uh, business gurus like Jim Collins. So there's a lot of groundwork that's been done in the broad question of how do you measure an institution's impact and performance. And so corporations have answers to it, um, government agencies, and uh, what I'll call single-purpose uh, nonprofits like um, homeless shelters and uh, um, and various others in the in the healthcare field. Um, they have answers, which is to state their mission and um, and then evaluate whether they're accomplishing their mission. Um, looking at head counts, looking at um, you know numbers of meals served or or beds provided. Uh, we in the museum field do not have a similar um, clear set of evaluation standards. We have ways of evaluating parts of what we do, but no one has really tried to synthesize before uh, this attempt. Um, all these different ways of evaluation into one kind of uh, bigger picture. And there are a couple of reasons why uh, there have been limitations on this, but um, I'll get to those in a moment. Okay, that's, you know, that's that's interesting. And I, and I think, I guess, uh, one of the things we'll talk about as well is why say, number of meals served, for instance, if you know, a, home, a homeless shelter would, would uh, use that metric, why that is different or, or um, uh, well, why it's different from saying, you know, well, we've brought, you know, so many people have come to our museum or we've uh, provided so many programs to so many people. Uh, it's, uh, I, I guess what you're saying is that, is that quanti- the, the measures that we need depend on the questions that we're asking. <laughs> uh, yes, and also depend on um, what it is we're trying to do. And so let me try to address some of the um, um, roadblocks, if you will, that have been in the way of some kind of comprehensive um, um, evaluation framework for museums. I think we've got the answers, but we have to think afresh about a couple of, um, or actually four, different, different areas. The first is that um, we really need to recognize that most museums today serve multiple purposes. They have revenue sources both on the earned and support side. They get government funds. They get private funds. They get money from visitors. They get money from sponsors. They get money from tourist development agencies. Um, And all that money is coming into the museum because it's providing, the museum is providing benefits back to those folks, many of which are um, somewhat distant from an expressed single-purpose mission. Um, so the first piece is we have to recognize that uh, museums provide multiple services to their communities uh, in addition to their mission service, and that they should be evaluated on all of those services uh, in order to come up with a uh, legitimate value for a museum. 
Secondly, we have to recognize not just public value, which is where all the literature is focused. What is the public value of a museum? But also look at the private value and the personal value and even the institutional value. And let me talk a little bit about that. Uh, public value is pretty clear about um, how we can improve society and do good for um, everyone, uh, how a museum helps a community express its identity, uh, give it some um, uh, uh, neutral meeting grounds, give it uh, imagery and um, uh, an option for, for visitors, and can provide the general public with value. Um, it also can broaden participation. It can uh, advance uh, social change. There's a whole bunch of other public values that a museum can contribute. But it also can contribute private values to private foundations and to corporations and um, um, even uh, private donors. And those folks um, provide money to a museum in return for benefits that um, are important to them. Um, a corporation often is doing it for the benefit of its employees uh, or to make the quality of life in its community better so that it's a more attractive place to work and live. Uh, then personal values are... Um, all of us, all of us who say, gee, I want to I go to the museum on Tuesday night to hear a lecture. And uh, what is it? Oh, it's $13.50. Okay, fine, I'll, I'll pay that. I'm interested in the lecture. I'll go there. I'll uh, spend the money. That's all earned revenue. That's all money that we as individuals decide to spend on a museum, either in tickets or in uh, lecture fees or um, for renting the place for a birthday party or any number of other things. And lastly, institutional value is stuff for the museum itself. Does it add to capital? Do we expand the exhibit halls? Do we um, uh, find a way of improving our systems so that the next time we do a traveling exhibit, uh, we're going to do it more efficiently? So all of those are, are sources of value and kinds of value that need to be um, uh, counted. And that's kind of the, the second major area that we need to, to think anew about thinking of four kinds of value. The next um, is that I think we need to start recognizing that operating data has some information in it about impact. Uh, there's been a long kind of tradition that the only way to find out if somebody learned something is to use uh, qualitative evaluation and ask the individuals whether they learned something, um, because learning is one of those um, outcomes that are hard to verify without actually, um, if, if you will, testing the uh, visitor as to whether they learned something. Uh, but there are many other kinds of impacts, and there are many other ways of doing it. So um, one of the ways of using operating data um, is to assume that some of our customers, some of the people who walk through our doors, are experts in their field, and that their walking through the door is um, a vote uh, by an expert on the value that they're going to get on the other side of that door. So if we look at something like teacher repeat visits, where we recognize that a teacher is an expert educator and is only bringing her students because uh, presumably of the educational value of, um, of the museum experience, that um, if we see increasing teacher repeat rates, then we might be able to say, well, gee, the educational value of the museum is uh, increasing. Now, we can't just say that based on pure data. We have to, every once in a while, go talk to the teachers and see if that's what's actually motivating their, their increased visits. Uh, because maybe it's um, you know, a new 
um, 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 uh, vehicle for bus funding or something like that that's driving their repeats. So we have to we have to test what operating data is telling us with periodic um, evaluation. But the two working together um, are a way of assessing impact and performance. Uh, we need both of them. Um, Hello, sorry. Yes, uh, no, no, no. I was, I was, I was going to say, you know, it's another uh, um, uh, one of my banal comments, which is that's great, but uh, it does, uh, and I think we'll get into this a little, little bit further. That uh, one of the powers of your framework is that it it directs. Uh, it provides answers into you know how are we doing in these in these four basic areas, but it also directs additional research in a very strategic way, and I think that that is uh, incredibly important. Uh, I know it is for uh, for many of my clients who sometimes feel overwhelmed by you know where do we start. So I again I just want to applaud uh, how thoughtful uh, this book is. It's a little dense at the beginning, but it is well worth the read and I re- and I do recommend it to everyone um, who is listening and uh, also everyone that I can be talking to in the next couple of months. It really is going to give us a, a collective uh, vocabulary to talk about mm-hmm. things. And so before we go on uh, with um, some of these other clarifications of vocabularies and talking how we can use this model, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, more with John Jacobson, measuring success, and uh, that is based on our love of our field and how we can continue to see it improve. So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today I have John Jacobson with me. Many of you know him as uh, a strate- uh, someone who has been helping institutions for, as he said, uh, four decades. And he does it because uh, he loves museums and he loves this field. And through that love and commitment, he has taken the thoughtful time to develop a framework for measuring success in museums. And before break, we were talking uh, a little bit about the vocabulary that we use when we talk about values. And John, I sort of cut you off. You were talking about sort of the, you know, sort of the uh, the three areas, four areas of of of, of change or or uh, obtaining operational data. So if you wanted to continue with that, that would be great. Yes, let me um, let me add a add a add a fourth kind of roadblock that's been in our way um, uh, for coming up with the process, and that's kind of a, an assumption out there that uh, there should be a standard to measure museums. Um, and so far, much to the annoyance of most museum professionals, it has been visitation. You know, what's your attendance this year versus last year? Oh, I guess you're doing worse or or better. Um, and I think we've all. Um, bristled, if you will, at that simplistic kind of measurement for how well we're doing. So the important transition here is that we have to recognize that every museum is different and that every museum needs to establish what its own standards for achievement are rather than uh, trying to mold themselves into some externally developed um, exterior metric. If we don't do this, then some external metric is likely to be imposed on us. Uh, something like, you know, how efficiently are you using your charitable dollar or um, um, other kinds of metrics that uh, we may feel are not really getting at what the museum is offering. So the implication there is that, um, A, there's no one metric, but B, most importantly, each museum needs to go through a soul-searching process of saying, what, is the, what are the real impacts that we're trying to have on our community, on our audiences, on our supporters? What is most important to us about all the things we could be doing, all the changes we could be making in our, in our world, um, and um, what we're actually doing? What's the connection? What's the alignment between um, what people are uh, paying us for and what we would like to do? and our intentions, our intentional purposes, as they're called in the book. So the book, uh, Measuring Museum Impact and Performance, um, really has two halves. One is the theory developing all this, and I admit, Carol, it's a bit of heavy slogging. There's a lot of footnotes and citations, and I wanted to make sure that we did a responsible work um, uh, to ground the theory uh, both on previous work, on prior work of um, great minds, um, and um, documented it in a way that uh, uh, future people could look at. But the second half of the book is very different in tone, and it's a, it's a series of chapters that actually walk the reader through the steps of um, doing this. And there's a whole bunch of worksheets in the back that are, um, are in pairs, one of them filled in for a sample museum and the other blank for the uh, uh, reader to use in setting up their own system of um, of the impact and performance evaluators and collecting the data for it and deciding what 
um, what um, KPIs, um, key performance um, indicators, they want to monitor whether they're achieving their, their goals. You know, one of the things that, that strikes me anew, uh, John, is uh, when you say that this is a, this is a, 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 a wide-arching framework, but it is, a, it is adaptable to a variety of institutions, whether this is the Football Hall of Fame or, uh, it, you know, the Newark Museum. Uh, it's a con- they're all of our uh, nonprofit organizations and the cultural center sit on a continuum. And I think you're right that, the, that we get caught up in the arguments or discussions because we keep trying to make one size fits all. Uh, and it can't. But on the other hand, because you have identified such a variety of uh, KPIs, these performance metrics, clearly some of them will uh, be used more frequently in more museums, and perhaps those are the ones that then can settle into broader metadata comparisons. Is that a fair statement? Yes, very fair statement, and it's um, and uh, the bigger picture, Carol, which I'm very glad you touched on, is that this whole system needs to evolve. Uh, no, th- no theory of action, and, the, and this book has in it a museum theory of action, um, um, should go untested, and no, none of it should be assumed to be right the first time around. You need to tweak things. You need to keep evolving. Um, so. Uh, not only the theory, but the data and the definitions uh, need to evolve to make sure that they're reflecting reality uh, properly. And uh, um, if we find that certain um, classes of museums, like children's museums or zoos, uh, gather around certain types of information and certain types of KPIs, maybe zoos care a lot about um, uh, uh, animal care costs, whereas children's museums care a lot about exact age ranges of visitors. Uh, so each different sector may have different needs for refining their data. And I think that's all good. I think the associations are going to play a key role in advancing standards. Um, I believe that uh, we have thrown out a kind of uh, 1.0 version um, and I sure hope that um, the field evolves 2.0 and all the way to n.0 um, over time. And let me be more specific about that. We have a database of indicators that uh, was the research tool for looking at the impacts that museums have globally. Uh, the territory, you're right, has always been museums of all kinds that fit the ICOM definition of museums. Uh, which includes nonprofits, so we have not looked at uh, the commercial uh, museum field. So, by looking at, uh, by writing for all museums, um, we uh, researched indicators from many different sectors of the museum field, over a thousand of them, and put them into a database and sorted them in many ways to see, you know, how many related to broadening participation or how many related to preserving heritage or how many related to increasing the capital um, uh, endowment fund. So all sorts of different ways of thinking about them um, uh, revealed the patterns, revealed uh, much about the field. But it's also a tool that um, 
readers and anybody else can use by simply going to the White Oak Library at uh, uh, whiteoakassociates.com um, and go to library, and you can download the uh, museum um, uh, measures of um, impact and performance. And it's called MIP, M-I-I-P 1.0, and it's an Excel document, and your readers can have 1,025 indicators used by lots of folks around the world. Um, and they can shop for indicators that might be useful in their their museum. Um, they can filter for some of the impacts that they uh, uh, want to have or are having, and then look at what other minds have thought of as ways of indicating that that's happening. For instance, in broadening participation, um, uh, some museums have suggested that uh, the way to do that is by broadening the diversity of staff and measuring um, how diverse the management staff is and the board of the museum. Okay, those indicators are in MIP 1.0, and it, the museum can say, is that an indicator that we want to use? Uh, because uh, one of our goals might be broadening participation. You know, um, I, I think I'm jumping ahead here, but um, but you but you've led me to do it. So I so I, I want to uh, I, no <laughs> go right ahead. <laughs> um, when I first read the the book, and as I said, I you know I got through the theory part, and then I got into the practical part. And as is my want, as a as a trained as a scientist and a and a curmudgeonly curator, uh, I always want to say, well, yeah, but you know, yeah, but can you can you scam the system? For instance, uh, could you only say we're only going to look at those indicators for which we really are doing particularly well and not even think about those where perhaps we're, uh, you know, not, not doing so well. We'll just decide that those aren't of value to us or to anyone else in, in our little little community. And if, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm going to actually answer my own question for you and that <laughs> okay. is and and that is um, well of course anyone can scam anything they want but if people are using this in a sincere way what they're also going to see is their balance so if they are looking at both public value institutional value personal value i forget the fourth one um uh (laughs) right 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 um if they are looking at all four of those areas and charting kpis under those fours then it gives them a, a a very visual look at where their emphasis is, where their strengths are, and perhaps either where their weaknesses are, either in areas where they can improve, or areas that they've just never thought to measure or talk about. And so that I think in this way, what this this, uh, framework is doing is forcing an institution and for all of us to start thinking more broadly, as you were talking about, and seeing if we can then perhaps talk about balance in those four. Are there optimum balances between private, institutional, personal, and private? Does that make, does that make sense? Have I? 
it makes uh, it makes very good sense and it's the it's the kind of question that management should be uh, wrestling with in terms of balances uh, but let me go back to the beginning of your question because i think that there's a trend that is uh, important here which is the trend towards transparency of data um, and transparency of reporting uh, we're seeing more and more museums put their annual reports on their website. Uh, we're seeing more museums uh, posting KPIs of things like membership renewals or various other um, bits of information. So uh, transparency, not only of data, but of, of performance measures, uh, is, a, is a trend that should make the reporting clearer. It's also a trend that allows other people to measure us. So... Um, I fully expect Charity Navigator and uh, Data Arts and various other organizations to develop their own KPIs that will keep um, any museum um, on its toes and not just claiming its successes, but um, having to defend um, areas that maybe outsiders have pointed to with um, uh, some concern. So... Um, once you have what you are describing as all these um, indicators, that's really what the what the field um, and we have called a the, your dashboard. What is the dashboard that a that museum management looks at? And it's quite possible that uh, the head of membership would look at a slightly different dashboard than uh, the uh, curators in charge of collections, um, and that the overall CEO might be looking at a kind of roll-up dashboard of the institution as a whole. But those dashboards are are what help us um, steer the airplane. Um, the the, um, the comparison, not just to a car, but to the more complicated airplane uh, cockpit, um, is probably, given the complexity of museum operations today, uh, what we need to do to be able to steer the museum in the choices that we've determined. Now, you talk about alignment. Let me um, Let me look at that, because... Um, there is a difference between what the museum wants to accomplish and what it actually accomplishes. And how do we deal with that difference? Um, is it ideal for some reason to have a 100% alignment between what we want the world um, to get from us <clears throat> and what the world does get from us? Uh, that might be the case going back to the... Um, uh, the food kitchen, uh, where the objective of the food kitchen is to feed uh, people who are uh, in need, and uh, the people who are in need come in, uh, as well as the funding organizations are providing money because they believe that uh, their money should be used to uh, um, help people in need of food. Uh, so there's this kind of perfect alignment there. In our field, the alignment between benefits received by the people who give us money and the impacts that we want to have on our audiences and community um, varies from sector to sector. And it's certainly worth management looking at that uh, alignment or unalignment um, carefully and thoughtfully. And let me be specific here, uh, if I might. A children's museum is pretty well aligned. Uh, the mission of Children's Museum is to help um, child development, and most parents who bring their children to um, a children's museum and most agencies that are funding the children's museum, uh, even government agencies, are doing it for child development. It's a, a pretty clear kind of mission connection. It gets a little more complicated, however, with an aquarium. 
An aquarium might be after biodiversity um, uh, behavioral impacts, might be trying to get um, citizens to think more about the environment and preserve the biodiversity that uh, sustains life. But a lot of their income is coming from uh, tourists and visitors who are there for a quality family experience, who are there to um, um, have interesting uh, times, experience something new, and yes, learn something. Uh, they, of course, want to learn something that's useful to them immediately in their, in their life. And whether biodiversity uh, behavioral change is high on their list or not is, um, isn't clear, but certainly having a good time with friends and family uh, is what brings them through the door and, and gets them to spend their um, $18 or whatever. So there's a, um, the benefits that the aquarium is churning out is not identical to the impact that it wishes to have on society, um, unless, and this is a very important caveat, Unless the aquarium says, well, wait a minute, we care about providing quality visitor experiences to citizens and tourists. This is one of our intentional purposes. This is one of the reasons we were created. It's not our most important reason. Biodiversity um, uh, conservation is. Uh, but it's certainly one of our high-priority reasons. Once they become intentional about serving that as a secondary or tertiary purpose, then the alignment becomes a little clearer. Um, and we can go through the rest of the revenues at the aquarium and ask the same kinds of questions. Why are they giving money to the aquarium? And how does this align with uh, what we intend to provide to our communities? That's great, John. And I'm going to stop you right there before we go any further because we have to take our second break. And when we come back, more with John Jacobson uh, giving us theory and practice and measuring success. And again, uh, I want to remind all of you that John's book is available through Roman and Littlefield. And while I'm sure that his purpose in writing this book was not to get rich off of the royalties, uh, as he said before, the importance and value of this particular framework and book is only going to be useful if a lot of us start using it and kicking the tires and adapting it and, uh, and coming up with a shared understanding and vocabulary to talk about impact. So uh, I, again, uh, do, do take some time to, uh, to read this book, uh, but uh, we will be back in just a moment with uh, more from John and all uh, very thoughtful uh, uh ideas that are that he is uh, proposing to us. We will be back in a moment, so stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. 
We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and I'm here with John Jacobson. We've been talking about measuring success, measuring uh, museum impact and performance. And I'm wondering, John, uh, in this last segment, uh, one of the things that I really loved about the book, one of the many, as I keep saying, uh, is your very clear definitions. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in talking about anything, uh, but particularly, uh, as you pointed out, when we're talking about performance measures, is this issue of, you know, what what do we mean? Uh, what are some of those definitions uh, so that we make sure that we're all on the same page? So I'm wondering if you could perhaps go through some of the uh, definitions that you're using in the book. Sure, happy to do that. Uh, one of the more frustrating things about working across this field is uh, you, you walk into a museum and you are all using the same, everybody uses the same terms. The word visitor, the word um, uh, visit uh, are used by everybody. Uh, some people call them guests, some people call them uh, customers or other terms, but um, um, how they're counted uh, turns out to be different and how they're reported is uh, often different. Uh, so we need standards for such basic things as the museum site visit, for how a program participant is involved in a program, for things like dwell time and um, um, other kinds of involvement, all of which talk about um, the larger class of what I call museum engagements. We need a number that wraps up everything that... Um, external people are involved with with the museum, not just visits to the museum gallery, but um, attendance at board meetings or volunteer shifts or people who come in for function rentals or people who are uh, engaged in outreach programs or people even who are uh, engaged in virtual programs uh, or social media activity. So a broader term of all the people who are involved in so many different ways with museums is uh, the idea of museum engagements. And one important subset of that, of course, are site visits by um, physical people to the physical museum uh, for the purposes of visiting one of the visitor venues. 
um, as opposed to people who come to the museum to participate in a program. Those are program participants. All these are spelled out in um, an appendix, Appendix A, which gives definitions for uh, well over a hundred such terms, which have been evolved by the field. Again, this is based on looking at literature and having done a fair amount of, of standardization of data. Uh, but it needs to go through um, a vetting process. The, um, you, as listeners, uh, should look at it and see if you agree with all these terms. Um, we also need to get the associations, the museum associations, to start formally adopting sets of definitions. And I'm not suggesting that Appendix A is that set. Uh, it's certainly a candidate for it. It has evolved out of uh, many other similar uh, attempts. But there is more recently um, a version by the uh, Swiss uh, Standards Organization, the ISO uh, organization that have printed, uh, published in International Museum Statistics. Uh, the IMLS in the United States uh, has a, um, a survey that they intend to use for museum census if they ever get around to that. Uh, data Arts, which is the uh, formal, former cultural data project, uh, has a set of definitions for financial information uh, that are quite rigorous and good. So there are many um, sources of standards that um, ICOM and AAM and um, these other organizations um, should look at and with your help as members of these organizations move toward adopting them so that we all mean the same thing when we say visits. We just take that simple term of visitor and visit. Uh, they're two different things. Uh, if a museum has a single repeat visitor, then its number of visits is actually greater than its number of visitors. And that's a way of kind of defining the difference between what is a visit and what is a visitor. Uh, but these things are not commonly accepted in the field because nothing has been written down, and uh, each museum often has political reasons for why it thinks that way, or in some museums, uh, if a visitor buys a combination ticket, those are counted as two visits. Um, so there are many potential um, areas of muddiness in comparing data from museum to museum, um, and we'll be able to move forward with really finding best practices and, and setting realistic goals once we share definitions. Well, and I, I think, too, just to underscore that, that when the way you've started to define these terms also address one of the uh, issues that I know I come up with with, with some of my clients is the uh, how do we talk co collectively about on-site visits and virtual visits, if you will, and looking at them as part of a continuum in, instead of looking at them as uh, uh, either-or situations. You know, we, we have this group of community that, vir that visits us vi virtually and this group that comes uh, uh, physically to our, to our institution, and often we're not quite sure how we either integrate those data that we get from, from uh, the, the web or through the door and uh, I don't think, as you've said, we museums use that as a way of looking at their total 
impact. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's very fair to say, and um, um, just think very broadly of four categories. We have on-site um, engagements, we have off-site engagements, we have virtual engagements, and we have what Carol Scott calls non-users, people who do not engage at all but are aware of the museum and um, uh, think of the museum as part of their life in some fashion, either as an option of things to do that they haven't used yet or as a legacy for their stories or something else. So those four categories um, need to be counted um, um, in clearly uh, the separate ways because um, uh, the level of effort, the amount of time spent, uh, and potentially the impact of those uh, engagements uh, vary. Um, we'd like to believe that the people who arrive on site and enter our museum galleries or participate in a program in the learning labs or are there for a function rental have a significant impact because they're kind of massaged by our architecture, by the space, by the, by the uh, aura of the collections, um, uh, by the cachet of the museum. Um, and there's still some of that when the museum goes off-site, when we participate in a festival or uh, we're in a school uh, auditorium program. The brand and the reputation of the museum is carried with it, provided we promote that aspect. Um, and that's also true online, but um, we're losing the physicality and the, we're losing that kind of more sensual experience that people get from the galleries. But the brand is still important and we're able to go into much, much greater depth on the collection online than we could even in a personal visit. Uh, so there are many areas that we can actually offer a richer experience. And this is going to expand, Carol, so it's not just the online stuff. We're seeing mobile, we're seeing all sorts of um, games that start coming into museums. Uh, are we going to have um, uh, you know, joint ventures with Pokemon before long so that we get visitors into our galleries through that kind of methodologies? Uh, sure, all that's going to happen. So let's be inclusive about definitions of museum engagement, but rather specific about the subsets within it, site visits, program participants, uh, virtual engagements. Um, and uh, virtual, I think, we, we need to do the most evolution on that. So I've advised get, get your physical counts in place uh, first, uh, certainly on-site, uh, and then start counting all the off-site, uh, make sure that the mechanisms for doing that tabulation are, are solid, um, and then start working on virtual. Well, and just to drill down on that one, uh, just a, a tiny bit more, uh, going back to something that you said at just the, at the beginning, uh, that sense of, you know, who's the community? That uh, that we're we're after, and certainly a family who wants to spend an enjoyable time together at the you know, on site. That's a certain type of community that that's that's obtaining a certain benefit uh, to themselves. Uh, but a scholar. Uh, who is interested in visiting an institution's uh, collections that are online that have been carefully digitized and annotated, that, uh, and if they come back and back to that institution because they know the quality of the work and the collection, that, too, is a strong measure of benefit, correct? Yes, very much so, yeah. Especially if it's one of the benefits that you're 
intentional about. If um, contributing to uh, public knowledge, uh, which is the category that embraces scholarship, uh, is a high priority, then you really should be counting those uh, professors and scholars that come into your facility. Um, on the other hand, if you're interested in teen development and uh, teen workforce readiness, well, maybe you want to count how many school kids give a phone call to help with their science project, um, that they think of the museum as a resource that will help their education. Uh, so there may be other counts if um, you have other priorities. But yes, your community, and, and you also have to think of the community at large. How, you know, how does the Tech Museum of Innovation actually measure the fact that it's a symbol for Silicon Valley? Um, it's not some, I mean, everybody recognizes it as that, and everybody sort of understands that Silicon Valley is about technology. But here's this museum there in the middle that is the symbol of Silicon Valley. It's, it's great. I'm glad they do it. Very, very interesting. Well, John, we just have a couple of minutes more. Um, what are your next steps in promoting well, this? Um, my, my next steps, uh, which I've been uh, uh, dealing with um, already, um, have to do with talking to the organizations that are involved in um, uh, sharing and, and sharing definitions. So I'm meeting with AAM shortly. Um, I've been following the ISO um, um, data development in Switzerland, um, um, and there are other associations that uh, I hope to um, enlist, if you will, in uh, an ongoing effort to adopt standards. So that's that's one uh, area of activity. Um, certainly, the the book from a individual reader viewpoint is important too, because uh, I think it's uh, it's useful for individual museums to start using this and to become part of the debate, to become part of the evolution of um, of this process. So I'd like as many folks out there to. Um, uh, wrestle with the ideas, uh, adopt them for their own institution, and I'm very pleased so far with the uptake on that. There have been a whole bunch of, uh, of folks that have uh, let me know that that's what they're doing, that they're ordering a couple of copies for board members or that they're distributed among senior management or something like that. Uh, those, those kinds of uh, activities are very helpful because I know that um, the field is, is starting to um, come around to it. That's uh, so great. Those are, those are great. That's wonderful. John, again, thank you so much for being on the show today and giving us all just a taste of uh, the book and how we can use it. And again, on behalf of the entire profession, thank you for all the work you do uh, to make us more sustainable and improve our practice. Uh, And with that, I will bid you adieu. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 